Welcome. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. I'm Ernesto Sambrano. Today's article is by various authors from the February 2022 edition of GQ. Antiheroes, Part 2. Please note, this is a men's magazine and as such may include offensive topics or language. Number 11. Kimi Ray Conan by Will Buxton. Iceman is his nickname because he comes from Finland, a cold place, but he also seemed a fairly cold person. This is the kid who turned up giving monosyllabic answers as part of his disdain for the press, who was fast asleep half an hour before his first qualifying session. He joked about taking a shit when Michael Schumacher was being given a Lifetime Achievement Award, but it underplays how seriously he took it. He had a singular focus, which was to drive cars as fast as humanly possible. The other bullshit? He never had any time for it. Formula One hasn't seen anyone like him since James Hunt. All Ferrari drivers usually have to learn Italian so they can speak to the Italian press. Kimi never bothered, so he could never be forced into talking to them. He went and drove rally for a bit, and famously would have the car in a ditch or in a tree within the first 150 meters. He was all or nothing. Number 12. Michael Vick by Zach Barron He was the first black quarterback to be drafted at number one in NFL history. He was also the first number one quarterback draft pick to go to federal prison for dogfighting charges at the height of his career. So go the contradictions of Michael Vick, a one-of-one in sports history. Still the most electric athlete to ever play the position, but fated to be remembered by some for other reasons entirely. Vick played with swagger and style and grace. He drove opponents to insanity and beyond. There was no defense for him, except what he would do to himself. And even then, after 14 months in prison, he was still able to return to the game, reformed, humbled, but unbowed, and once again made grown men look silly. LaShawn McCoy, a teammate of Vicks in Philadelphia, remembers his arrival in the city. There would be so many protesters outside the stadium, McCoy says, but once he started playing, it's funny how the world works. They forgot all about that. Number 13. Charles Barkley by Eric Wills He brawled with Shaq on the court. Off the court, he pushed a man half his size through a bar window. Charles Barkley always seemed intent on proving that his infamous not-a-role-model Nike campaign wasn't just a slogan. But in retirement, the former MVP has managed to up the ante with his unrepentant provocations. On his gambling, I want to be dead broke when I keel over. I don't want to leave all that money for my freeloading family. On the Golden State Warriors, I'm never going to lack that little girly basketball where you have to outscore people. As Kenny Smith, his Inside the NBA co-host, told GQ, he has, as Shaq would call it, a G5 classification. He can say things that other people can't say. I know where he stands, even when he's not standing with me. Number 14, John Daly by Sam Shube. That guy was Happy Gilmore is how No Laying Up podcast host Chris Solomon describes the blonde bomber John Daly. Raised in rural Arkansas, Daly was a hellraiser from the moment he entered the golf world's consciousness. He came in with a mullet and a mustache, Solomon notes, as the final alternate for the 1991 PGA Championship field. He drove overnight to get there on time, and then won the thing with a howitzer of a swing that revolutionized the sport. People think Bryson, DeChambeau, blows the field away. He blew the field away more then than Bryson currently does, which is jarring to think, Solomon says. And Daly did it with his own unique brand of panache. 
hitting balls shirtless or off of beer cans. In practice, a rocketing drives inches over the heads of fans in the grandstand. He's still finding ways to upset the golf establishment. Each year, come Masters time, Daily stations his RV in the parking lot of a Hooters just down the road from the world's most esteemed country club. Ray autographs just about anything put in front of him. In 2019, Augusta National bought the land that Hooters sits on, but Daly isn't going anywhere just yet. Number 15, Pete Rose, by Pete Rose, as told to Clay Skipper. What do I have, 26 or 27 major league records? The best record I have is playing in 1,972 winning games. Someone's got to win and someone's got to lose. My philosophy is, let the other guy lose. A lot of guys played hard, don't get me wrong, but I played different than most guys. Not three days a week, not five days a week. I played different every freaking day. And when I managed the Reds, my goal every night was to win the damn game. See, I picked the wrong vice. If I'd done drugs, they'd have given me a second chance. But I gambled. I was wrong, no question. I made a mistake, but everyone makes mistakes. The penalty don't fit the crime. I've been suspended over 31 years. I've heard of guys that killed somebody and they're out of jail after 20 years. I'm still in jail. 31 years. Because I made a bet. I bet on baseball. That's not my legacy. My legacy is I won more games than anybody, got more hits than anybody, scored more runs than anybody. I was at a banquet the other night and a guy asked me, what do you think you'd hit if you were playing today? I said, probably 228 to 235. And he said, wow, the pitchers are that good? I said, no, I'm 80 fucking years old. Number 16, Gabriel Medina by Chris Gayomali. Surfers are a chill bunch. The kind of folks genetically predisposed to lounge in the sun with guitars and fruity strains of indica. But occasionally, an apex predator emerges from the haze. A guy like three-time world title winner Gabriel Medina, who is beloved in his native Brazil and despised just about everywhere else. On land, he's a smiley 28-year-old who likes video games, but in the water, he's a ruthless competitor. Take the 2017 Pipe Masters. His opponent, Kelly Slater, was standing in the barrel of an enormous backdoor wave on which he could have scored a perfect 10. So Medina did something highly tactical, or highly unsportsmanlike. He burned Slater, his idol, by dropping in front of him. The two almost collided, nixing Slater's chances of scoring enough points to prevail. Medina won the heat, but fans online were incensed, calling him a disgrace. I could be going against my best friends. I'm there to win, Medina once said. It's in my blood. Number 17. Asashoryu Akinori by Kigo Amamiya It only took four years for Asashoryu Akinori, a young Mongolian man with the agility and fighting spirit of a prey-hunting wolf, to rise to the top of the deeply traditional Japanese world of sumo wrestling. Known for his impassioned outbursts, his gutsy poses in the ring, and his struggles outside of it, Asashoryu was a far cry from the image of the Yokozuna, or sumo master, as a man of restraint and discipline. Yet his dynamic fighting style and carefree smile drew in countless people. Even the elders who relentlessly criticized his impropriety came to regard him as a natural-born charmer. Twelve years have passed since his sudden retirement, and the sport still misses the sense of possibility and surprise he brought to it. I've been told to be dignified, to be refined, he once said. But once I stepped into the ring, I felt like I had to be an ogre. Number 18. Jack Lambert by Eric Wills The mere sight of Jack Lambert, as unsettling as any Bond villain with his toothless maw, thinning hair, and spit-flying intensity, 
once made a Broncos rookie named John Elway wonder whether his own true calling was to be an accountant. Terrorizer of quarterbacks everywhere, Lambert embraced his odious image. During a Monday night game in 1974, the Steelers lineman and Ohio native announced that he hailed from the fictional town of Buzzard's Breath, Wyoming. After flattening Brian Sipe along the sidelines a few years later, the first of two fine-inducing hits on the Cleveland quarterback. Lambert told Howard Cosell that if they wanted better protection, quarterbacks should wear dresses. In retirement, he guarded his privacy with the same intensity that animated his Hall of Fame career. Jack would rather wrestle a rattlesnake than talk to a reporter, one neighbor told a journalist who came knocking. GQ left a voicemail asking Lambert if he had any comment about his inclusion on this list. Naturally, he did not return the call. Number 19. John McEnroe by Zach Barron You cannot be serious! It's the title of John McEnroe's autobiography, the punchline in his commercials now, and occasionally, when prompted, he'll say it from the broadcast booth. McEnroe originally yelled it during a Wimbledon match in 1981, during a tournament that he'd go on to win, beating Bjorn Borg after losing to the Swede the year prior in one of the greatest matches ever played. That was, and is, McEnroe. An infant terrible, the All England Club, the organization that runs Wimbledon, declined to offer a membership, as is customarily extended to champions. But McEnroe was also among the most dogged athletes ever to walk the face of this earth. If you beat him, he was coming back, and he was coming back for blood. He was the quintessential anti-hero. Audiences loved to boo him. His greatness was inseparable from the angry, abusive intensity that produced it. Tennis is a lonely, solitary, brutally difficult sport, played over hours in difficult conditions. There is no one to ask for help, no one to pick you up when you cannot pick up yourself. The best players are separated from each other less by ability than by will. Can you find the intensity inside yourself? Can you maintain it? McEnroe always could, and, maybe more than any other athlete, he let you see it. We loved him and hated him because he made the ugliness and the fire that fueled his talent visible, tangible, unavoidable. To watch him was to learn just how hard and how transcendent it is to win. Number 20. Sonny Bill Williams by Che Curian. At the finals of the 2015 Rugby World Cup in London, New Zealand's strapping center Sonny Bill Williams made an audacious move. Receiving the ball at the halfway mark, Williams burst forward, drawing five burly Aussies into his orbit. He waited for his opponents to close right in, and with a delicate flick of his giant wrists, offloaded the ball into the hands of his dreadlocked teammate Ma'a Nanu, who charged into the clear air to score a decisive try. It was a flashy play, and the teaming fans at Twickenham Stadium thundered in exultation. It was also the most sublime execution of the offload, a signature Sonny Bill Williams move, which until that moment, the rugby orthodoxy had disparaged as showboating and risky, akin to an Allen Iverson behind the back pass. Today, the offload is recognized as a vital component of the modern game, and Williams stands vindicated. If I hadn't backed myself and pushed the boundaries, would I have achieved what I did? Asks the All Blacks legend. When no one expects it, big plays and big matches change the course of the game. Number 21. The Bad Boys Detroit Pistons by Tyler R. Tynes When I think of Detroit, I think of an ass-whipping, at least when it comes to basketball. Michael Jordan might, too. And Motor City's blue-collar edge is still best personified by the Pistons of the late 80s and early 90s, still the league's ultimate bad boys. Their lineup was a murderer's row of hard men. Dennis Rodman, Bill Lambeer, Isaiah Thomas, 
but they were also winners in a town that had often lost. For a city of hardworking people that got hit real hard, we brought light to the city, says John Sally, a power forward who won back-to-back NBA championships with the Pistons in 1989 and 1990. Yet Sally says he and his cohorts were also proud of being pariahs outside of Motown. When they show you a cowboy movie, he says, the bad guy is always the best dressed and the one you remember. Number 22, Brad Marchand by Clay Skipper. Slashing, trash-talking, tripping. If it gets under an opponent's skin, the Boston Bruins winger has probably done it, earning him a reputation for being the game's foremost psycho. At a 2012 White House visit, even President Obama, diplomatic as he is, referred to Brad Marchand as the little ball of hate. I thought that was awesome, says Marchand, now in his 12th season with the Bruins. In 2020, his fellow players concurred, voting him the dirtiest player in the league. Sometimes it's sneaky wallops to the back of opponents' legs. Sometimes it's licking their faces, which he's done on at least three separate occasions. The guy had his face in my face, so I just figured that would piss him off. Marchand offers by way of explanation. Spoiler, it did. He claims his pesky brand of antagonism is mostly behind him, partly because it's hard to get away with, thanks to all the cameras, and partly because he doesn't need it anymore. It's stuff I had to do early on to get established and try to earn a spot on the team and make a name for myself, whereas now I am established and I've had a successful career. He says on the day he's serving a three-game suspension, the seventh of his career, for intentionally swiping a player's legs out from underneath him. That brings us to the end of today's article, Antiheroes, Part 2. If you want to learn more about Airzale and the types of programs we offer, follow us by clicking on any of the social media links at the top of our webpages. If you like what you see or hear, please click the like button. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind, low vision, and print-impaired listeners. In unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Ernesto Sambrano, and I'll be back soon with another article. Thanks for listening.